Welcome to another episode of Mama Earth Talk. I'm your host, Maris Canal. Realizing just how much waste we generate on a daily basis, I've set a personal goal not only to reduce, reuse, and recycle, but to also educate the world about sustainability and how each of us can help preserve our beautiful planet. Thanks for listening. Let's dig in. Hey, crazy birds. I hope you guys are doing well. I am really excited about today's. We are talking money. I know we have spoken a little bit about, you know, the green. We can vote with our money every single day. And today we are going to take a little bit of a deep dive into some financial institutions and things and investments and how you can actually make some more sustainable investment options out there. But before we dig into this episode, I want to just give you a little disclaimer that this podcast episode, even though we talk about financial aspects and everything, this is by no means any financial advice or anything. I would really recommend you guys to actually go and do your own research, have a look, you know, what is worth for you to invest in, what not, what is kind of the risks that's involved with a lot of these items. Do not just go mainstream. Please do your own research on things like that. And I'm really excited about talking to our our guest today. He's got quite an interesting journey and his company is doing some really great work. So I'm very excited to shine some light on that. Our guest today is the co-founder of Carbon Collective, the first online investment advisor, 100% focused on solving climate change with a clear theory of change around 100% divestment from fossil fuels and to reinvest into science-based climate solutions and shareholder advocacy. During this episode, we talk about what is Carbon Collective, why it is important for us to actually divert or divest from fossil fuels and reinvest in climate solutions. And Zach provides us with some great tips as well of what we can actually look out for when we would like to invest to solve climate change. Crazy birds, without any further ado. I would like to welcome Zach Stein. So excited to be here. You're most welcome. How did your sustainable journey actually start? So like many of us could go back to an inconvenient truth. It kind of did there. I was like, oh, climate change is a thing. I'm 33. So it came out when I was, I don't know, 12, maybe 14 or something like that. But like, I still thought climate change and for, for a long time was, you know, something like like for my grandchildren to deal with. And it was really after I graduated from college here in the US where I did an urban farming fellowship. And I remember this was back in 2011, so about 11 years ago. And the leader of that, we had a session on climate change. And he broke down and started crying while talking about it. And that 
to me, just really started to drive home the importance of sustainability, just the myriad of ways in which we're living in an unsustainable way. And then some of the, a lot of the excitement of seeing like, oh, there's so much creativity to be had in solving climate change, but then also just sustainability broadly, more broadly at large. So I started in that, in kind of the food systems, and then that brought me into tech and eventually into what we're doing today and Carbon Collective of helping folks invest in a climate-aligned fashion. That's such an amazing journey. And I mean, so many people's journey has actually started by watching that documentary. And it's just phenomenal what an impact something like that can have on people's lives. And even, you know, so many years on, still has an impact. And definitely, I think when I grew up as well, you all kind of think, okay, this is something for like the next generation. Like, you know, we'll be okay, we'll be fine. And then we face situations that we are in today, like here in Australia, we've been getting so many floods, like some floods, which they are saying, oh, it's like a once in a hundred years type of flood. And the poor people has had like two of those in the last year. It's definitely no longer that one in a hundred years. It's like here and we are faced with these situations every day. So it's definitely something that goes in everything that we do. And one thing that I always like tell people is you need to kind of vote with your money as well. And that is something that you guys have been helping a lot of people do with the Carbon Collective. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah. So Carbon Collective is an investing platform here in the US and we help individuals and also businesses invest for things like retirement in ways that are fully aligned with solving climate change. To us, the, the science is very clear about what needs to happen for us to solve climate change, to be on a path to smoothly transition to a zero carbon world by 2050, we need to be investing 10 to 20 times more per year into climate solutions. It's like not that complicated. We have to build a lot more solar panels and then stop investing in new fossil fuel expansion and wind down that industry to a fraction of its size today. If we're able to do that, we'll put ourselves on a good chance of averting catastrophic climate change. If we're not, if we don't change our investments like that, then it's going to be pretty challenging. And so when we saw what kind of Wall Street was labeling as sustainable and things like that, it didn't whatsoever fit with that reality. It often still had more fossil fuel companies in it than climate solution companies. There wasn't any type of deliberate strategy about how to use votes for these companies to pressure them on things like transitioning to renewable energy faster or electrifying their fleet. So that led us to put together our strategy, which is a series of comprehensive portfolios. So like they're smart, they make sense for long-term goals like retirement, but that have a clear theory of change around climate. So then how would you kind of then define what is like a sustainable stock or a sustainable like bond portfolio? Because there is definitely like what you said, you know, with Wall Street, greenwash a lot of stuff to make us think we are actually investing in something good, but, you know, under the hood, it's not. So what do you guys define as that? The tool that Wall Street broadly uses is something called ESG, which stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance. And it's this complicated rating system that you can get. Uh, many different companies will try to sell to you, and it's all different, about how to analyze different com a company on all those given metrics with it. Part of the problem with that is it's trying to do everything at once. 
And so we focused just on climate. And we looked at not how a company makes what it makes. That's secondary. But the prime, a company's primary impact is what does it make? Because the thing that it makes, it's going to invest in doing more of. And so we look, we do kind of build our portfolios in three steps. Is It's a little bit cheesy. It's divest, reinvest, pressure, the rest. Oh, I like that. That's quite a nice one. Yeah. yeah <laughs> Got a ring you. to it. And, you know, the goal is that you remember it, even if you're like, ugh, it's a little cheesy. So divest, about 20% of the companies in the, in the US markets, and that's just where we're focused now. But I think this is broadly applicable around the world of US markets are companies whose core business could not exist in a world where that is zero carbon without a miracle breakthrough in technology. Something like we would need carbon capture and sequestration working at scale, for example. So this is obviously you know, oil, gas, and coal, but also petrochemicals, airlines, airline manufacturers, cement, steel, dirty utilities, and more. So we broadly cut out that 20%. So that's the divest piece. We don't hold that. We don't think it makes sense to own oil companies in order to vote on them. I'm happy to go into that more in a sec. So we then step two, reinvest. We give their share to the companies that are building solutions to climate change. And what we do is we look at what are the best plans for solving climate change. So your listeners might be familiar with groups like Project Drawdown or Rewiring America here in the U.S. or the International Energy Agency. They'll put, put out plans of what is it going to take to go from today to a zero carbon world? What is it actually going to take? So we say, OK, what did they identify as the industries that have to scale in that time frame? And so we then go and find what is every publicly traded company that generates 50 percent or more of its revenue from building those solutions. And then we hold all of them. So it's more than just solar and wind, but things like you know, building automation, the circular economy, sustainable agriculture, limiting food waste, and more. So that's step two, reinvest. And then step three, pressure the rest. These are the companies that are the inverse of step one. We might not call them sustainable today. In fact, we largely wouldn't. But their core business can exist in a zero carbon world. It's just how it's powered, how it's transported, how they're treating their natural resources has changed. And that means to us as shareholders, that's where we should engage with them and pressure them. An example is often helpful, Coca-Cola, not a sustainable company today. But there is no reason that Coke can't sell me a beverage using the secret recipe in a world that we've reached where we have reached zero carbon for emitting. It's just done so in 100% renewable electricity and delivered on 100% electric fleet. That's to us. We should pressure own Coke to pressure them to get there because let's be honest, they're probably not going anywhere. We should pressure them to get there as quickly as possible. So we should focus on limiting fossil fuel demand. We need to get their customers to switch, not owning fossil fuel companies to try and get them to voluntarily drop their supply. I love that. And I mean, a lot of people and companies follow the money. That's basically what they do. So if the majority of customers just say, uh-uh, no more, I'm no longer going to buy your product, they either have to adapt or they're going to go out of business. And that's basically the two options that they have. And I've been seeing that here, especially with uh, supermarkets at the moment, because rewind a couple of years ago and you would not be able to find bamboo toothbrushes at your local supermarket. Also, the soap bars that you could find was all of this like very chemically soap bars that no one actually wants to buy. And now you can find so many more sustainable options at your local grocery store. And I think they kind of saw 
that all of these little small shops is popping up and people are buying their sustainable stuff from there. They wanted to tap back into the market because these people are actually now taken away from your mainstream grocery stores and they are going to these stores. So they are losing business. But now they offer their clients these products and because they can buy in bulk, it's a lot of the times at a cheaper rate. So they are getting some of those customers back, but a lot of people might want to still support the small stores because, you know, they supported them when no one else was there. (laughs) But yeah, it's definitely following the money that you can see in so many industries at the moment. If I could use a brief analogy that I think would fit in really well to that, some investors will say you, you should own oil companies in order to pressure them. And to us, it's very similar to the, what you just said, in that imagine oil companies, if they're a, a business, they have a line out the door and around the block right now. And so going to the guy behind the counter and saying, hey, have you thought about changing business models? Like, it's not going to work. <laughs> what we should do is we should go to the, the people in line and say, hey, you can actually get a lot better deal across the street and it's going to be better for the planet. That business will change once the line goes away. That's true. Something that I always love to have a look at is that, you know, with one of the hundred most polluting companies in the world, it can literally sometimes just take like a hundred cups of coffees to have a hundred cups of coffees with these CEOs to really spur, you know, something to start making change from the top. But, you know, obviously it might not be as easy as that because you've got the CEO, then you've got, you know, he doesn't just like go out and say, okay, guys, today we're going to do this. No, you've got an entire board that you need to get on board. And a lot of these guys are only in this for like day five to like 10 years where they are there to make as much profit as possible. So when they leave, they can be remembered as the CEO that run this company to like the highest profit margins. You know, we've got all of these boxes ticked and they don't necessarily care about what happens to the environment, but, you know, they just want to be able to say, hey, you know, I've done this and I, I've lived a good life and now I've got five beach houses to prove that. So, so it is it is a really, really a battle. But I definitely hope that, you know, by having some of these conversations with these larger players as well, that can kind of spur and just like something can click once they see, oh my gosh, our line of customers is just like a quarter of what it used to be like a year ago and even less now. So that, you know, they kind of know, okay, maybe, maybe we need to do something. And because they're such a large scale company, they can make a big difference just by making small changes for them. It can have such a big impact. Yes. This goes to when we started Carbon Collective, we did a bunch of interviews. Some of the people we talked to when it came to climate, they said, well, why should I do anything about it? Isn't it all the government and these major corporations fault? We would like, all right, let's break down the logic there of like, okay, maybe it is. But what changes governments and what changes corporations? I haven't seen an answer that isn't some level of when enough individuals make a different choice, that it doesn't start from there. So like to use your toothbrush analogy, when enough individuals made a different choice, that changed the supply chain of the toothbrush industry. And with that, in the supermarkets, and you start unrolling that. So I think especially when it comes to climate actions and sustainable actions in general, with that 
there's almost to some degree an act of faith of what that is going to lead to. Because it could be hard to see it. I mean, you saw that perspective of there weren't toothbrushes before, and now there are with that. I think at least here in the US, we can see plant-based foods rolling out. There's so much innovation in that space. There's so many new products. Five years ago, that was barely happening. Now you can actually get vegan options at restaurants, which that wasn't a thing like a couple of years ago. Exactly, exactly. But that only changes through individual action. So Zach, if some of our crazy birds, like that's not in the US, but they like, oh my goodness, we need to like do something about our money, like put our money away. You know, we kind of believe in, vote with that. What is some of the things that we need to like look out for when we are wanting to invest in certain organizations or even projects or go on to the uh, stock market and get ourselves, you know, a little portfolio build or something? What do we need, need to look out for? There's kind of two broad ways to think or, or categories that we like to think about in sustainable investing. And it goes d- down to, again, solving climate change. To us, that is the number one issue within sustainability. If we are not able to be on a path to a zero carbon world by 2050, then a lot of the other issues within sustainability are relatively moot. It's going to be pretty bad. So given that, you get to look at two things. How much of that portfolio is invested into fossil fuels? There's some great free tools with that, like fossilfreefunds.org. You can enter the ticker of a mutual fund or an ETF that you're interested in, and you'll see all the underlying holdings that have been flagged by them. So like, this is an oil company, this is a coal company, it gives it a letter grade, all of that. So it's a really great free resource that you can go in and take any of the available universe of funds and filter through that. So I'd strongly suggest checking that out when you're looking at saying, you know, oh, I'm saving for retirement in this, you know, this stock portfolio, what's actually in that really nice tool, totally free to be able to go and use. You don't need to sign up or anything. And then the second piece is what level of climate solutions is that invested in? There aren't as many free tools for that. We're working on some stuff at Carbon Collective to make that easier, but we can't just not invest in fossil fuels. We can't just have a less bad version of the world today. We actually have to build the world of tomorrow that runs with zero carbon. And that's going to require a lot of changes. So one of the things there that I think narrative-wise, there's still around the world where it's seen as solving climate change is a sacrifice where I'm going to have to give up something. When an inconvenient truth initially came out, that was kind of true. You know, the solutions they had there were like, get a, you know, LED, LEDs for your house, which were like super expensive. And, you know, that was basically it. But, you know, like you could buy an electric car, but like there was only a handful of them and they were incredibly expensive and weren't very good. That's just not the case anymore. So many of the things of switching to the climate friendly option, whether it's how you drive, how you power your home, et cetera, it it pays for itself. And that's really exciting. We've got family that lives in South Africa and currently they experience like it's it's actually so ridiculous. My mom says the electricity goes off sometimes like eight times a day. So throughout the day they might only have power for like six hours for the whole day. You know, some days it's a little bit uh less, but it's really intense. And a lot of people have actually gone off the grid and, you know, now they don't have to worry about 
can I actually work from home today? Because, you know, previously you've got this like lingering, okay, yeah, it might work, it might not. Like I might have power, I might not. So I think a lot of people kind of, you know, when things like that happen, you you just like jump on board and you're like, okay, it is an investment, but at least, you know, I will have power and not just like out of necessity, but now you're actually going to have clean power because, you know, the sun is providing us all of this beautiful, beautiful energy that we can use and even with wind to to utilize that as well. So there's so many different sustainable energy sources out there that, yeah, it's it's just great how, you know, we like such a great journey from LED lights all the way to now we can actually afford to do a lot more. And like the prices, even when when we were looking at solar energy, they say about 10 years ago, it was so expensive. An average household could not afford that. But now it's becoming a lot more affordable. There's all of these startups that's making it uh, more affordable, that's challenging people, that's driving prices down. And now when we like drive around here in Perth and Western Australia, where I am, it's not uncommon to see almost every you know second or third house has got solar, which is phenomenal. <laughs> Yeah. And what's great is that we've seen industries like solar and increasingly electric cars hit that point where it's not just, you know, greenies like you and me who are you know doing this for ethical reasons. It's we helped get that off the ground by making the choice before maybe it was economical to do it that now for many people, it's just an economic decision. You know, to use a South Africa example, like not only do they have consistent power, but it could, you know, potentially just also save money compared to buying it from the grid over that point. So it's kind of just all those incentives align. Yeah, we don't own a car, so I can't really contest about paying uh, fuel prices, but I heard that's really expensive at the moment. So if you have an electric car, then, you know, no more going to the gas station and paying ridiculous prices. So it definitely has an influence. And yeah, so there's so many great stuff that's happening. And I'm super excited for what's going to happen even more in the future. So you you guys have done this now for a couple of years as well. And what has been some of the feedback from your clients that, you know, started to divest their portfolios and invest more into science-based climate solutions versus previously from fossil fuels or going from fossil fuels to like, you know, science-based climate solutions? Yeah. What's been really rewarding is, you know, as a founder and, and building of this company has been the degree to which people stick around and are kind of invested in and along the, for this journey with us and really kind of believe in the long-term potential of it. So it was in terms of a time to found this company, the uh, oil stocks over the past basically 30 years haven't done that well. But in the past couple of years, like a year and a half, they've done really well. And so our portfolios, they actually didn't perform as well in that time frame um, as well. We haven't lost a single member for that fact, which is pretty amazing, especially when you're, you know, I kind of assume, oh, people are really like calculating, like, you know, oh, this isn't getting me as good returns. I, I want this. We believe in the long term. It is a much smarter way to invest. And I'm happy to go into why. But that has been really rewarding to see that people are saying, no, I agree with this method of investing. And I agree with the logic behind it. And I'm going to support that, not just with like, you know, a little bit, 
but I'm, you know, going to move my whole retirement, all my retirement money into this. Um, you know, we have a slogan of invest in the world you actually want to retire into. And we really try to live up to that and how we think about investing. I love that. That's amazing. And it is sometimes daunting if you look at when people might be trading on their own and, you know, you kind of hear what's happening like, oh, today this is up and this is down. And then, you know, a lot of the times I feel trading, it can be a very dangerous thing to do yourself. So don't do it unless you actually know what you're doing. Because like a lot of people would look at the markets and you're like, oh, the stock's going up. Yes, if it goes up, it will go down. You know, it kind of everything kind of, you know, fluctuates a little. So you never want to buy something when it is at the top end of the market. You know, you want to buy low and sell high. So people don't necessarily know just by looking at this one day and be like, oh, okay, I think I know what's happening with the market. Let me spend $5,000 on five shares of this. And the next day, your shares is like halved in price. And now you're like, oh, no, I need to, I need to get out. I need to get out. And then you get out and you're like, oh, now it's up again. So I've just lost like half of the, my money. And, you know, so I think people need to realize that this is a long-term thing, that if you want to do day trading, again, you need to know what you're doing. It's a very dangerous thing. Or you need to go to someone that would be able to help you invest your money correctly and not to look at your investment portfolio every single day and be like, oh my goodness, I've just lost $500. No, now I've lost 5,000. Oh, now I've gained 10,000. Oh, this is cool. Let me add more. So I think it's, it's something that we really need to kind of adjust as well and make sure that we know what we do when it comes to our money. Absolutely. Some of the smartest investment advice that you can have is unless you really like investing, which most people don't, it's scary and intimidating, is set and forget. Invest with as much of the market as possible. Don't try to pick winners and losers with as low fees as possible. And if you can afford it, put in a set amount every month, every week, you know, every couple of months, whatever. Do that. That is one of the best just historic ways of building wealth in that. So you're not trying to beat anything. You're trying to remove as much emotions from it as you can. And then as you approach an investment goal, like you want to buy a house or you want to retire, you hopefully will be in something that will become more conservative as you reach that. So even if there's a big stock market dip or something, it won't affect you as badly. You can protect some of those gains. So that's kind of, you know, investing, how to be a smart investor 101 piece of unless you really like day trading, don't feel any pressure to do it. In fact, you really shouldn't. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I know. Like I've been in demo mode doing some trading stuff on the side and I'm like, this is not even real money. No, no, I can't do this. So, you know, you, you, you really, really need to know what you're doing to, to be able to do that. And Zach, can anyone like kind of use Carbon Collective or is it only like a private VIP, you know, people are selected or how does it work? Depends how you define VIP. Right now, if you are a U.S. citizen, you can use Carbon Collective. That is going to change in the near future. We're going to have some options for anyone in the world to uh, participate and you know, join us. Ha- we'll have some news on that. I can't actually share it yet. I'm legally blocked from doing so. But right now, unfortunately, you do have to be a U.S. citizen. 
Okay, so just be a US citizen anywhere in the world. So even if we've got some of our crazy birds that is uh, based in Dubai, for example, but they've got the passport, so they can still invest with you guys, right? Yes, they can. And they have a mail, mailing address in the US as well. So that's good to know. But I'm excited to check how some of our other crazy birds would be able to maybe invest with you guys in the future. So we are going to link all of your socials and everything as well so that we can like keep connected with you guys. But uh, what does the future actually hold for Carbon Collective? You've given us a sneak peek, but what else is there? Yes. So we currently have two business lines. We help individuals and manage their investments in ways that you know, are going to be aligned with climate change. You'll pay the same fees as you would for any online investment advisor for that service. We also help businesses with that. We're now in the process of launching the first of our family of funds for it. So folks can buy it uh, elsewhere. And we're going to be continuing to what's called securitize our investment strategy. So make it so it'd be more broadly accessible. And then we have some uh, interesting plans. We think that in the in the U.S., there's something called donor-advised funds, for those who know of them. They're basically these pools of money that remain invested, but are out for only can be used or earmarked for donation. We think it, especially in the climate change space, there's not really great places for that yet. Or if they are, they're very selective and pretty narrow in how they operate. So that's an area we're really interested in looking at as we continue on our journey. Oh, that sounds amazing. And Zach, what would you say has been one of your most important decisions that you've made around Mama Earth? I think one of like my personal biggest decisions is having a level of faith that so long as I'm continuing to learn and grow, that you know, should always be thinking, okay, like what's going to come next, but also it enables to be to be more open to digesting new information and be like, huh, okay, maybe that wasn't quite correct. Maybe we need to go over here. And I think that that's been really helpful. Oh, that's a great one to have because yeah, things are adapting and changing and we constantly finding better ways to do things. So that's, that's a great one. We are now going to move into our final fives. What is one social media account or publication that you follow? I am not very big on social media. I really like Grist and their publications. It's a media company all about sustainability in the US. And what is your hope for Mama Earth going forward? That we're able to get ourselves on a path to reaching a zero carbon world by 2050. Oh, I love that. I hope I hope 2030, but I'm very ambitious. <laughs> And what advice can you give our crazy birds this week to help out Mama Earth? One way that we like to talk about how to take climate action is there can be a lot of decision fatigue in it. You know, when you're like, oh, you go to the grocery store, you're like, uh, you know, am I going to be pescatarian today or vegan or I'm really hungry? I've had a long day at work. One way to think about it is how do you look at the really big decisions in your life, the things that are kind of run in the background once you make them. So this is like where you invest, where you bank, how you transport yourself, how you generate electricity, what type of job you have. All of those are really big decisions you make. And they take effort to pick them up and look at them from all different types of angles. But once you make them, then you're just turning on the lights or 
going somewhere or withdrawing money from your bank. You don't have to think about it anymore. So inspect the gears of your life, the behind the scenes, because once you make those changes, you'll just be living, but it'll be in a far cleaner and greener way. Great one. And what is one sustainability fact that you like to use in a room with people not yet on a sustainable journey? One thing I've been interested in has been the growth of electric cars. It's just a fundamentally better technology. It's faster, cleaner, roomier. It can drive you know, much, much longer the lifetime of car. It's, it costs a fourth as much to maintain, no oil changes or anything like that. In 2010, 0.01% of global car sales were electric. In 2021, it was 8.6%. And in 2022, it's looking to be over 10%. We are in the middle of a technological transformation from an inferior to a superior technology. So many people I've spoken to is like, even if they drive still, uh, you know, petrol or gas, are they like, this is my last one. The next is electric. Yep, exactly. And Zach, where can people actually find you and the Carbon Collective? So if you go to carboncollective.co.co, you can find us. There's a button. If you want to talk to us, it's called Talk to a Human. It's on there. We're real people who care about climate change a lot. We're not faceless robots behind the scene. So come and set up a conversation. We'd love to meet you. Oh, awesome. And we will link that up in our show notes as well. So our crazy birds can head on over to the show notes and uh, find it there by the click of the button as well. So you don't have to stop the car and write that down now and <laughs> have it all for you together. Uh, thank you so much for being such an amazing guest and for, yeah, just sharing so much about, you know, how we can actually make a difference by investing in something we believe in. Thank you so much for having me and for the work that you do. You're most welcome. And that's a wrap. Huge thank you for our amazing guest for being on the podcast and for sharing their journey with us. You can find the show notes of this episode on the mamaearthtalk.com's website. The biggest thank you goes out to all of you crazy birds for listening to the podcast. If you have not already listened to all of the episodes, you can go back to a few of them. You will absolutely love them. I really enjoyed recording every single one of them and I really hope that you enjoy listening to them. There's over a hundred episodes so if you feel a little bit lost on which one to listen to next maybe select one of the episodes with guests that you might want to know more of and start from there. If you enjoy the episodes why not tell a friend about the podcast and maybe share an episode with them. Let them know that we are here and we are waiting for them with open arms and they are all very welcome to join the crazy birds globally. If you have a question for me, please send them over. The best way to get in contact with me would probably be a DM on Instagram. You can either send it to my personal, which is at Zero Waste Mariska, or the podcast, which is at Mama Earth Talk, or send me an email at hello at mamaearthtalk.com. If there's a particular guest or topic that you would like to hear on the podcast, let me know. I love to hear from all you crazy birds. 
New episodes are uploaded every second Monday, so make sure to subscribe that you do not miss a thing. Mama Earth has a voice, and it's us crazy birds.